0: Hey, guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown
1: Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks. That's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school. Or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the
0: part. So swing on by Leon Taylorin. They've got a great great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor made, but also something custom made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels exactly, but you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tayloring, They'll take care of you. Leon Tayloring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis.
1: We can talk a lot about Mike being a great conservative leader for what he's been for the last 30 years in this country, and Mike's a Congress, you know, former Congressman. We love Mike because Mike's the former Governor of, of Indiana, and then most recently the former Vice President of the United States. But I always, when I introduce Mike, I like to tell personal stories because I think it makes you connect. Because a lot of people have had the opportunity to see uh, the Vice President, but but uh, like he likes to say, they've they've gotten to see him, but they really haven't gotten to know him. So I'll share just a couple quick stories about uh, the the Vice President. So the first thing. The, you should know about the vice president is is that will Farrell's george w bush impersonation pales in comparison <laughs> to the one that mike pence can do so uh as all of us who have been to the republican lincoln day circuit would say you know when you go to those lincoln day dinners and you go oh no they're speaking i used to pray it was mike pence and he would get to his george w bush impersonation so uh, uh He's also, ironically, people in the national press don't believe this. He's one of the funniest people I know. So uh, uh, incredibly uh, smart and quick-witted. Uh, couple of just personal things. You know, I, I think you know when you grow up in politics, you you see different people and you wonder, are they the same person off stage as they are on stage? And and I I tell two quick stories about the vice president that kind of shows you this. I remember in 2012, the vice president was then a congressman running for governor. And then there was a Sunday, it was the second or third Sunday of October. It was a little busy about that time of year, and he was in a very competitive race for governor. And uh, so it so happened that I was involved in a program called We the People, and in that We the People program was the vice president's youngest daughter. And so it was a Sunday, and we were doing a practice uh, as we were preparing for the state competition. And I'm walking into the building, and, I said, and I, all of a sudden I hear this voice from behind that says, Hey, Todd. I turn around, and I look back, I, I see the vice, at that point, I said, Congressman, what are you doing here today? Shouldn't you be campaigning? And he gave me, I'll never forget this look, he gave me this look of like, like that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, and he says, well, Todd, it's, it's Sunday. I'm gonna be where my family is on Sunday. And that's, that's yeah. And when you, I had just been elected to office at that point, and, and that really sat sat with me for a very long time. The next thing was that you know the fact of the matter is is that the, the vice president's daughter at that time in her life wasn't exactly aligned with uh, maybe the vice president and I's uh, uh, political um, leanings. And so here's this young, young woman who's actually a much better communicator than her father, ironically. Um, and I think he would say this. And, and I'll never forget, you know, she would go in and she would present the other side and frankly, in a spectacular manner, she almost had me coming along right, right alongside her. And, and yet, the Vice President and Karen were so incredibly supportive, wanted her to express her beliefs, not the beliefs that aligned to her family, not the beliefs that people expected her to have, but the beliefs that she had. Now, there was a running joke that Mike would tell you that he was once a Democrat and then the Lord saved them, and so they've been praying for that. But, but, but it's, that type of, it's that type of genuineness that I can tell you. The, the Mike Pence you'll see up here is the exact same Mike Pence, if you know him, you know uh, in, in everyday life. And uh, what he says and what he speaks is what he acts and what he believes. And uh, that, that is a refreshing thing. Uh, in national politics. And we are so blessed in Indiana to call him our native son. So with that, please uh, welcome Vice President Mike Pence.
0: Well, thank you so much thank you how about a round of applause for speaker todd houston from indiana i'm just so proud of him the chairman of this ncsl conference thank you so much for telling stories on me and on my family todd Um, uh, i am uh, delighted to be here and thank you also i want to i want to express my appreciation to the chair of the ncsl conference for positioning hoosiers right at the door when I came in. So I got got waylaid precisely there. Let me say on behalf of all my fellow Hoosiers here, uh, I want to say to all of the incredible Republican legislators in the room, welcome to Indiana. It is an honor to have you all in the Hoosier State. And uh, I also want to thank somebody that I greatly admire. Uh, who I had a few seconds with at the table there, but hope to have a few more minutes. Uh, The um, president of the National Conference of State Legislators and a man of great integrity, Speaker Robin Voss, thank you so much for being with us, for your great leadership. And I really came here today to share a few thoughts, a vision we're unveiling today, uh, a plan to do nothing less than to restore and revive Federalism in America, starting on January 20th, 2025. Before I get to that though, let me just say thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you and to your families for your service to your states. uh, I, I really want you to leave here encouraged. It does kind of remind me, Todd, of a time my only, one and only time in the Oval Office before I became Vice President was with President George W. Bush, (laughs) who invited me to uh, come to a meeting in the Oval Office because I'd gotten involved in a pretty tough controversy and uh, he liked what I was talking about. And he looked at me at one point and he said, at the end of the meeting, he said, he said, Mike, I just want you to be encouraged. (laughs) And I said, thank you, Mr. President. He goes, I'd like you to see me as an encourager. I said, thanks. He said, I'd like you to leave here with some encouragement. <laughs> and I said, uh, Mr. President, you know, standing here in the Oval Office with the leader of the free world, I'm encouraged. <laughs> uh, so uh, I hope all of you will leave this conference, and hope you leave this morning knowing uh, that uh, you have the gratitude of the people of your communities. You have the gratitude of the people of this nation. I believe that leaders at the state level are responsible for this nation continuing to be, even in these challenging times, the greatest nation on earth. So thank you for your leadership and your service to America. And thank you, Todd, for pressing me into that recollection. So I stand before you today as a candidate for President of the United States because I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I believe Joe Biden has weakened America at home and abroad in two and a half short years. It's extraordinary to me how far our nation has fallen on the world stage. This week, we, um, we marked the second anniversary of that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I must tell you, I met a, uh, a veteran yesterday when I was in Missouri who had spent three deployments in Afghanistan. And we laid to rest a courageous Marine who was one of the 13 lost on that fateful day. But let me say to all the veterans who are gathered here in the room and to those who might be looking on, nothing of that disastrous withdrawal will ever diminish the gratitude and honor that is owed to all the men and women who served and defended our nation in Afghanistan the last 20 years. But it's not just weakening America abroad. Uh, Here at home, the war on energy from day one, the open borders policies that created the worst border crisis in American history, and a gusher of spending, needless COVID spending in the amount of $2 trillion ignited the worst inflation uh, in 40 years. American families are struggling, and they're hurting. Two out of three American families, your constituents, people here in Indiana, are living paycheck to paycheck. And I believe, I believe that all of us in the Republican Party hold the keys to restoring America. And I believe that reviving limited government and restoring and reinvigorating federalism in America is a key to a boundless American future. Are you with me? You know the you all know the 10th amendment but having spent a fair amount of my career in Washington DC it doesn't come up a lot but i love what ronald reagan said in his first inaugural address as a former governor it came naturally he said and i quote it's important to remember that the states created the federal government the federal government didn't create the states And I believe the 10th Amendment is crystal clear. The power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited by it to the states or reserved to the states, respectively, and to the people. It's very simple. As I often explain to people traveling around the country, those, those areas that are of most interest and most immediate need for the people of our country, whether it be the education of our children, whether it be public safety, whether it be healthcare, that all, that all is under the jurisdiction of our states and our local communities. I mean, the truth is when, uh, when something goes bump in the night, when you start to smell smoke, you don't call your congressman, right? You call 911. And it's state leaders and local leaders that are there to create the infrastructure to protect our families and strengthen our communities. Um, you know, as a governor, I, as a former governor, rather, I know that, that states are not subsidiaries of Washington, D.C. States are not subordinate departments of the federal government. Our 50 states are the very foundation of our republic, and let me say with deep conviction, when states are free, America thrives. When states are free to innovate new policies, other states can copy them, compare them, whether it's in tax policy or in health policy or in education. The Bible says, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. And throughout our nation's history, it's been those laboratories of innovation and democracy, I believe, that have contributed mightily to improving our nation. The truth is, uh, the same thing works for bad ideas. Bad ideas in one state can be, quickly discarded, at least in most states. (laughs) But let's leave Illinois out of it for now. I mean, the truth is the competition makes us all better. We as Americans know that. We live in that every day. But The truth is, for much of the last century, our country has drifted away from the wisdom of our founders when it comes to federalism. You know, when I was governor, I, I would often come to our nation's capital hoping to find an administration to be willing to listen to me, work with me, give me greater flexibility, occasionally reminding them that there there is no money in Washington, D.C. It all comes from the states, right? Uh, But unfortunately, my time as governor overlapped with uh, President Obama's second term, so you can imagine the reception I got. With one exception, I will say, happily, And that was that after two years of negotiations and digging in, Indiana finally secured a waiver. And we became the first state in the country to introduce health savings accounts and consumer-directed health care in Medicaid. It was state flexibility and reform that's improving lives here in Indiana. And I want to commend these great state legislators who've made the Healthy Indiana Plan a reality. God bless you for it. Well, with those experiences in the cold shoulder that I got in Washington, D.C. when I was a governor, I'll tell you, when I got hired onto a new job in November of 2016, we brought a whole different attitude with us. Um, And let me just take this opportunity with leaders from around the country to say from my heart, on behalf of my family, thank you for the privilege of serving as your vice president. It was the greatest honor of my life. As your Vice President, we brought, thank you. as your Vice President, we brought into the the White House a, a dedication and a commitment to bring flexibility and reform to our governors and to state lawmakers around the country. Just a couple of examples. We removed twenty five thousand pages of job destroying regulations from the Federal Register. It's what we call a good start. We defang the EPA, sped up approval times for major infrastructure projects from 10 years to 2 years so we can get roads built and infrastructure for America. (laughs) On that Medicaid waiver business, we signed Medicaid waivers for states all across the country. We gave flexibility for states to innovate create the highest quality health care at the lowest possible cost. We worked with energy producing states to unleash American energy and we achieved energy independence for the first time in 75 years. (laughs) And when the worst pandemic in 100 years struck, and the president came to me at the end of February 2020 and asked me to lead the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Right after I took a moment to pray with the task force members, I said the first order of business was to get every governor in America on a video conference call. Because I knew that uh, while the resources might be organized in Washington, DC, it would be the governors and the states that would respond and meet the needs. And we did just that in the greatest mobilization since World War II. Whenever we were faced with a choice in our administration between trusting the states in Washington, D.C., we chose the states every single time. And I'll make you a promise. You hire me on as President of the United States, we're going to trust states every single day. But I don't have to tell all of you how times have changed. I mean, From an administration that deferred to states, gave flexibility to states, and unburdened states, the Biden administration has gone the exact opposite direction. Like every single time, it's Washington bureaucrats over the states. I hardly need to tell all of you. The big government is back with a vengeance under the Biden administration. And states and the citizens of this country are struggling as a result. And President Biden single-handedly crushed our energy independence and crushed domestic energy industry, robbing states of revenue and exacerbating inflation that's being driven in part by the rising cost of energy. Gasoline prices are up 60 percent still. Electricity prices are up 25 percent. It's all a direct result of a war on energy. States have been paying the price in lost revenues. President uh, Biden plans to expand federal land, stripping states of sovereignty and their own borders. The SEC is imposing burdensome emissions reporting requirements on businesses. Healthcare care waivers have, are a thing of the past. I mean, it's one of the most underreported stories in the country that after a wave of innovation in health care and flexibility in the states, the Biden administration has quietly yanked virtually every waiver that they've extended to states around the country. State laws are being disregarded by... Providing abortions at VA facilities. And let me just say, I, I'm pro life and I don't apologize for it. And if you make me president, if you make me president of the United States, I promise you we're going to respect the rights of states to expand and defend protections for the unborn. The list just goes on. The Biden administration wants to make it illegal for states to pass right-to-work laws. They tried to prohibit states from using federal dollars to reduce taxes on their own citizens, kind of forgetting whose money it was to begin with, right? And finally, they tried to federalize elections right out of the gate, with Democrat majorities in the House and Senate in those early months. Their very first initiative, and a Democrat administration and Democrat majorities in the House and Senate was to attempt to mandate universal mail in balloting and banning voter ID nationwide. You know, I know we gather this morning at a tumultuous time in the body politic in this country. And frankly, after years of revelations of politicization at the highest levels of our justice system in this country, the years in our administration where we learned of uh, Political activities by members of the FBI pursuing the Mueller investigation, the Russia hoax, the ongoing pursuit of the former president, and conservatives and pro lifers while seeming to look the other way on Hillary Clinton, Hunter Biden, and the Biden family has undermined public confidence in equal treatment under the law. And now, this week, comes another indictment regarding the former president's conduct in the days leading up to the close of our administration. I've said many times I had hoped the judgment about those days would be left to the American people and to history, but such is not the case. But in these times, I want to say I think it's important that we hew to first principles and that we tell the truth to the American people. The first principles are these, no one is above the law. And the president and all those implicated are entitled to the presumption of innocence that every American enjoys. But secondly, despite what the former president and his allies have said for now more than two and a half years and continue to insist to this very hour, the Georgia election was not stolen and I had no right to overturn the election on January 6th. It's a hard truth. My friend, Governor Brian Kemp, said it well yesterday. He said, "For quote, for nearly three years, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward to provide evidence in a court of law regarding the Georgia elections. And for my part, I always knew that the framers of our Constitution wove federalism directly into the electoral college system. I hardly need to tell state legislators that states conduct our elections for national leadership. States certify those elections. And under Article II, the only role of the Vice President of the United States as President of the Senate is to preside over a joint session of Congress where objections under the law might be heard but where the electoral votes certified by the states would be opened and counted, said they shall be opened and they shall be counted, no more and no less. And I'll always believe, by God's grace, I did my duty that day to see to the peaceful transfer of power under the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this country. You know, frankly, there's no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose which votes to count for the American presidency. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And I'll just make you a promise. Should I have the privilege to serve as your president, I will always keep my oath to the Constitution. I will always defend the right of states to conduct our national elections. And I will never allow Democrats to nationalize our elections in the United States of America. So help me God. So we have many challenges today. it seems like our politics are more divided than ever before. But now more than ever, I think we should return to the wisdom of our founders. So today, I came to announce a very simple plan to restore federalism in America. And uh, we're announcing it here, but we're unveiling it online. I hope many Americans will go and review it. Under uh, any administration that I might have the privilege to lead, I promise you, the 10th Amendment will once again be respected. When it comes to decisions about education, health care, transportation, welfare, housing, land management, and elections, we'll respect the preeminent role of states as equal partners with the federal government. It's just a five-point plan. I'll breeze through it quickly, and then I'd love to take any questions, Mr. Speaker, that people might have. Number one, we will go to work on day one to eliminate the federal Department of Education and return all those resources to the states for educational choice and reform. I'm proud of Indiana's history in the education choice movement, incredibly proud of the record. States around the country have made expanding educational choice now, universal choice here in the Hoosier State, Arizona, Iowa, Arkansas, and in places across the country. And I urge all of my Republican friends in the room to continue to do likewise. I truly do believe that. Every parent in America should be able to choose where their kids go to school, regardless of their income or area code. An educational, parental choice is an idea whose time has come. Right, Bob? Give Bob Bating a round of applause. He's been an incredible (laughs) champion for choice for many years. Number two, on housing, highways, and welfare, we're going to return funding in block grants to the states, no strings attached. Three, we're going to repeal all Obamacare mandates and give states the power to implement health care assistance programs to the benefit of their people to reduce the cost of health insurance. And number four, I mean, the federal government owns roughly 640 million acres of land in this country. That's 28% of the continental United States. I believe that we can preserve our national treasures, cherish our our great heritage in our national parks, but I believe the time has come for the United States government to return a portion of these lands back to the states and the American people for development, innovation, and reform. We will provide, under any administration I lead, that any regulation that imposes unfunded mandates on the states will be prohibited from day one. (laughs) Under my administration, if Washington calls the tune, Washington will pay the bill. No more orders down to the states and let you all figure out how to pay for it. You can read more details about this if you're curious or if you've already lost interest in my speech (laughs) by going to mikepence2024.com. And I'm privileged to be able to come and share this plan with all of you. It's really, the plan is really just about freeing the states to lead. It's about allowing these incredible 50 states of innovation and reform to be able to step forward and and do what Republican-led states are doing every single day, and that is showing, when you let people keep more of what they earn, when you you make the right investments in infrastructure and healthcare and education, you create opportunities, you represent your values, states are thriving. It's the reason why Republican-led states around America, even in these challenging times, are booming and outperforming every other Democrat-led state in the country. I truly do believe in a time of historic challenges at home and abroad, states hold the key to leading America back by your example and by the policies that you can advance and develop. And I promise, should I have the opportunity to be your president, you will have a champion of the states in the Oval Office in the White House. These are challenging times, but I hope you can tell from my demeanor that I'm uh, I'm pretty optimistic because I have faith. First and foremost, I have faith in the American people. You know, when you're a vice president of the United States, when you're a governor, when you're a congressman or a state legislator, when um, when bad times come, if you're my kind of leader, you You go where the trouble hit. Here in Indiana, that's tornadoes. On the coast, it's hurricanes. Our hearts and prayers are with the people of Hawaii, with those horrendous wildfires that also beset the American West. I've gone to those scenes. I've been to those places here in the Hoosier State and around the country. I've even been to places where they were man-made disasters unspeakable violence claiming lives. But you can probably testify to this as well. that If you go to a place where the rain came down and the wind blew and beat against the house, and the houses fell, the only thing you can't find the next day is a parking space in those neighborhoods. Because I've witnessed it more times than I can remember. When bad times come in this country, The American people load the back of the pickup truck, load the minivan with bottles of water, with food, with tools, and they drive in the direction of the tragedy. And they pull into the homes of people they've never met before and will never see again and help them put their lives back together. I'll never forget one time in particular in our hometown of Columbus, Indiana, Eric had a historic flood. Five feet of water destroyed 10,000 homes, claimed lives. I was over at the Northside Middle School, and there was a fellow sitting on a plastic chair waiting to talk to a couple of the relief groups that were there. And I walked up to him, told him I was his congressman, and I said, uh, I said, how you doing? How's your house? Everybody okay? And he was sitting there holding his hat in his hand, and let me just say respectfully, he was a fairly high mileage guy, even though he was my age. (laughs) Nicotine stained fingers, dark circles under his eyes. Looked like he enjoyed a drink or two. Maybe that day. (laughs) But he looked up at me and he said, "Um, I'm doing okay. He said, I I think I'm going to be back in my house next week. I said, really, were you not hit that hard? And he looked up with his lip quivering and he said, no, sir. He said, "Um, the day after the flood water receded, this... uh, van of fellows pulled into my driveway and they all piled out with tools and said we're from the Baptist Church in Shelbyville and we're here to fix your house and he looked up at me and said and I told them but I'm not a Baptist (laughs) and with tears in his eyes he said to me and they told me we don't care and they're there right now sir let me tell you in all my years In public life, and I expect from the nods in the room, you've seen it too, the American people are the most generous, kind-hearted, idealistic, freedom-loving, faith-filled people the world has ever known. We just need government as good as our people again. And I intend to get it for us.